Welcome to Revolutionaries and Visionaries. My name is Jennifer Chambers, and I'll be your host. I wanted to start this show because I write about generally women, but mostly I I write about people who are revolutionaries within their own lives and within a broader sense. People who are visionaries and who are able to push through their own challenges and find useful ways to be of service to both themselves and humanity. My first episode today is called Petticoats to Bloomers. I want to talk to you about some of the things I do within my work where I write about resilient women in particular. I want to um, first preface it with, I spoke with my daughter actually about it yesterday and uh, my daughter's young and she was talking to me about something really funny that sparked my interest in this particular subject for today. She saw women wearing high heels on TV and having um, heel problems, and it was some sort of commercial, I think, that, that really caught her attention. She's like, Mommy, why would people wear those on their feet? And I'm sure it was interesting to her. I've probably never worn heels in her presence. Uh, I used to when I was younger. And of course, it's everyone's preference. Do whatever makes you feel good. But the older I get, the more I understand the need to not wear uncomfortable things. I think that that's kind of, what's the point? What's the purpose? Why would you make yourself uncomfortable to be an object of someone else's approval? Um, And I'm glad that my daughter understands that. (laughs) Um, It really reminded me a lot of something that I wrote about. I'm also a writer of historical nonfiction and fiction. Uh, But in my last book, that's called Abigail Scott Dunaway and Susan B. Anthony, Hesitate No Longer, I was able to talk uh, about some of the things that Susan B. Anthony did was to start her own newspaper. And one of the, the people who who she used as a mentor, uh, worked with her quite a bit, um, was Laura Curtis Bullard. And, and she and her friends also wrote an article for Susan B. Anthony's newspaper, The Revolution. Was it, uh, they did a lot of editorials and they, they did one called Save Our Girls. That again was really echoing me speaking with my daughter. She was talking about uh, the reasons why you can't use, uh, you shouldn't use a corset. And my goodness, what a revolutionary idea at the time that you should not use a corset. Here's a, a quote from the article. She says, We conjure you, fathers, husbands, brothers, to give this question of woman's dress your serious consideration. Your ridicule is more powerful to set women right than reasoning on this subject, than all the sufferings they endure. No woman, though she puff like a porpoise going upstairs, will admit her clothes are tight. You may ask your daughter with her wasp-like waist a dozen times a day if her dress is not tight, and she will tell you no. And her mother will tell you that Julia's waist always tapered just so. 
do not believe a word of it. Nature never sent forth such journey work. No girl was ever born into the world with her ribs lapped and her vital organs all crowded together. If we are to propipitate some evil genius, we must cramp and trammel one sex. Let the boys be the victims hereafter. It would not be half as detrimental to race, to the race, as is our system today. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, some of the things that they printed in the newspaper they that was in- incredibly difficult for <laughs> for that time, of course. And uh, Mrs. Stanton also had uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who was also quite a friend and companion of Susan B. Anthony. She wrote, The first step in this work is to make all women understand that suffering is not in harmony with God's will, that every pain, sorrow, and wrong is in violation of his law. We have been taught that woman is a special object of God's wrath and curse, but the fact of motherhood, so far from being her highest glory and exaltation, is her deepest sorrow and humiliation. Uh, That's... (laughs) a different take on it but I do think it's interesting that uh, I, I think the corset is is a, in particular a fascinating way that women have been subjugated and uh, some other research I've done on the subject I used a lot of a lot of different sources one of them is uh, Ranker which has some lists and some pretty interesting facts from that article women were not the only ones who wore corsets Actually, in the latter part of the 18th century, men wore very form-fitting trousers and jackets. So the corset helped the men have a smoother silhouette. I'm guessing that was, uh, from from the research I've done, that was a pretty short period. Women wore corsets for much longer. That's interesting (laughs) that a man... I, I had never read that before. I thought that was kind of interesting. Some other things you might not know about corsets were, obviously, um... They contained stiffeners. Now, in traditional times, even back to Elizabethan times, they were used with pieces of wood. But they also contained pieces of metal or pieces of bone to stiffen them. Uh, Eventually, wood and metal gave it even more structure. But uh, they were very tightly laced. And some actual professionals of the time kind of contrary to popular belief we see all of the pictures of that era and we feel like it's it was so widespread and it was very widespread but there were some physicians and some doctors that discouraged the tightly laced corset there was a newspaper called the sacred heart review that mentioned in 1890 tight lacing cannot be but hurtful the various novice in anatomy understands how this process how by this process almost every important organ is subjected to cramping pressure, its functions interfered with, and its relations to other structures so altered as to render it, even if it were itself competent, a positive source of danger to them. Now, not surprisingly, corsets caused breathing problems for all the people who wore them. They were, it was more so once the metal eyelets added, were added to the corset in the 1820s and 30s. Then when they were when they were able to be able to be laced with metal, metal um, eyelets, they could use stouter cords and were able to get the lacing a lot more tightly. So then women wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily go back with strictly fabric ones. There was a little bit of easing in the garment. Now it's kind of interesting because corsets are an older, a very old <laughs> tradition. When they 
were used in the 16th century, they weren't the traditional S shape that we saw in the 1890s and the 1820s through the 90s. They were a little bit more of a square or almost a barrel shape. So the corset then changed shape with the different times. That makes sense. But uh, another interesting fact is that these people who wore them, mainly women, will go with women now because the, the time period within that men wore them was quite small. Really not surprising, and especially in this time of coronavirus, um, I can't imagine wearing something that would make me more susceptible to illness. And women who wore these were so susceptible to both tuberculosis and pneumonia because the lungs were constricted. So women would die, and not infrequently, from respiratory illnesses that could be much helped if they would simply not. Uh, also, the very action of the corsets kind of, uh, and it's, it's kind of icky to talk about it, but, but it really made certain parts of your body atrophy and waste away. So then you'd have to wear it. Now, they do, they do say that uh, something kind of like a corset has been around for about 2,000 years. Ancient Greeks even wrote about women's undergarments that, that were supportive. That makes sense. But uh, I had no idea they were quite, quite that old. <laughs> I think that is all very, very interesting. But um, I also appreciate very much the fact that we don't have to wear them today. <laughs> I mean, you can if it's your choice, obviously. But uh, I think that's fascinating. And more and more, as I say, as I get older, there's so many less concessions I'm personally willing to make. But I think the idea of fashion trends as, as female, not just garments, but there are different ways to talk about how it was to be a woman at different times of our existence. Um, a lot of the time, what we wear has, has caused us to be subjugated in different ways. But there's, there's no denying the fact that what you choose to wear says a little bit about you. Now, I don't know exactly what my, what my comfortable clothes and Birkenstocks say about me, um, except at this point during quarantine, I don't want to wear anything else. <laughs> But I think the idea of females and different things that historically we are wearing and subjugating ourselves to is a fascinating topic worth exploring. There's many, many books about it. As I say, I did, uh, I did quite a bit of research about it. I'll put a, a list on my website, a website about the same. But I think that uh, it's an interesting thing to, to discuss. This is just the beginning of my historical podcast, as I say. I want to talk about all kinds of different revolutionaries and visionaries, different people who have affected our past and uh, people who affect our future. I've been lucky enough to, to know quite a few revolutionaries um, in our time. So I will be interviewing people and presenting material from all time periods, but I hope you'll join me with celebrating revolutionaries and visionaries with Jennifer Chambers. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today.
the second thing I'd like to profile today is a woman called Amelia Bloomer. I spoke about her briefly earlier in the episode, and she's a funny one. I was able to profile her in one of my books, one of my books about um, Abigail Scott Dunaway. Abigail Scott Dunaway was a big fan of Amelia Bloomer. She learned about her through the newspapers of the time. Amelia Bloomer was a suffragist, was a suffragist, an editor, and an activist. And she's most well known as being a fashion advocate who worked to literally change the way that women lived through the way that they dressed. Before this time period, of course, women wore layers and layers of petticoats. They wore hoop skirts. They were all different kinds and shapes of hoop skirts, but none of them were designed to make it easier for women to move around. Now, as I say, I, I got to know Amelia Bloomer, other than just casual interest knowing about bloomers, <laughs> because of Abigail Scott Dunaway. When I was researching Abigail Scott Dunaway, Abigail was a pioneer who crossed on the Oregon Trail, and she and her sister shocked everyone by wearing bloomers on the side of the Oregon Trail. They were teenagers at the time, and I can imagine that wearing the many, many layers of petticoats and clothing that you had to wear made it pretty difficult to try and traverse half the length of a country. So um, Abigail had just found, this was about a year after the bloomers came to be fashionable, and they took off their petticoats and wore their bloomers, their you know large, baggy, knee-length pants, much to the chagrin of everyone else on the trail. But uh, Abigail, she decided that she wasn't going to be uncomfortable, <laughs> and I so appreciate that. <laughs> now to backtrack a little bit, Amelia Bloomer was a uh, suffragist, of course. She was born in New York in Homer, New York City. She didn't have very many years of formal education, something else that Abigail Scott Dunaway shared with her. But she did start working as a teacher and she was an educator in her community. Then she married a man named David Bloomer in 1840 and she moved to Seneca Falls, New York. Of course, Seneca Falls would be quite the seat of feminist uprising. Amelia joined a church and she volunteered with the Temperance Society her husband actually encouraged her to write, and she started her own column in a newspaper which covered all different kinds of topics. But then in 1848, she went to the Seneca Falls Women's Rights Convention. The next year, she created her own newspaper called The Lily, so this was in 1849, and The Lily was primarily a women's newspaper. At first, it only was about the temperance movement, but... Um, it became more and more about other kinds of news. And then after Bloomer met with Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she started to publish more articles about the women's rights movement. Her husband, interestingly, he was elected as a postmaster for the town, they, their new town, their, their adopted town of Seneca Falls. So when he was elected postmaster, he actually appointed his wife as his assistant, which is pretty incredible when you think about it, given the time period. And Amelia used her office to uh, kind of make her be sort of her headquarters for the Seneca Fall women's rights movement. So as a woman, of course, she knew about the hazards and, and nature that corsets and the many layers of uncomfortable clothing that women had to wear. 
So she kept trying to get the women she knew to adopt a different kind of dressing. She didn't invent the pantaloons that she called bloomers, but she helped popularize them. And she actually uh, got lambasted by both men and women who were conservative at the time, of course. But she continued on. And later, in 1851, she actually was the one who introduced Elizabeth Cady Stanton to Susan B. Anthony. And that, of course, is an incredibly long-standing uh, friendship, lifelong friendship for the two women that was very influential in American history. Later in the 1850s, um, uh, Amelia Bloomer and her husband moved towards the West, and she kept talking about temperance all the way over and oh, when they were trying to go west. She tried to keep her newspaper going, but it was very difficult. So eventually she decided to sell her newspaper and her, her husband and herself settled in Iowa. So they shifted a little bit during the Civil War, starting a soldier's aid society. But Amelia Bloomer kept preaching on women's rights and temperance until the day she died. She actually was the president of the Suffrage Association of Iowa, and uh, she was often uh, the article I one of the articles I read about it, womenshistory.org, says, quote, she was often she often found her ideas at odds with other activists who wanted to focus on other topics in the women's rights movement. Unquote. So uh, it's interesting to me because in the rest of my research, she's certainly not the only one. Temperance was bound with a lot of different kinds of things, and it wasn't successful until it was separated from women's rights. But Amelia Bloomer kept preaching and kept promoting her ideas, and eventually she passed away at the age of 76 in 1894. Amelia was, I mean, imagine, imagine women's lives now if she hadn't popularized that and really tried to, to make women's comfort more of a priority. That helps other people see women as not just objects, but as people who had feelings. She's one of a, a slew of women who did so, of course, but I think it's, it's fun to remember someone like Amelia Bloomer who literally reshaped our ideas about women and about humanity and how people should be treated by literally what they were wearing. Yeah.
Sometimes we need to lift the voices Choices